So I just want to take a couple moments to clarify our intentions on naming this series the way we did. So we named the series Game of Thrones because we thought it was fitting for the topic at hand, the life of David. And, uh, but, and I admit I totally could have been a lot clearer here, um, titling the series this way isn't in any way, shape, or form an endorsement of that HBO series. I haven't watched it, but from what I understand, the series is lewd, graphically inappropriate, and thematically unpleasant. I've read the book. The book's not all that bad, but the show, don't watch it. It's not going to be good for your spiritual or mental health, and that comes from a professional right here. So um, that being said, right, that being said, I would also say to you that the life of King David should also not be watched as an HBO series either, right? It also has a number of parts in this story that is considered graphically inappropriate and thematically unpleasant, right? So if we go through the story, some of them, were, one of them we're going to tell today. So the story of, of David cutting off Goliath's head. Goliath was like a beast. It was not one chop. I mean, there was some sawing involved, right? So that's graphically gratuitous violence there. Saul consulting a witch, and raising up Samuel's dead spirit. It's sorcery and witchcraft that's part of this story. David having an affair with a married woman, Bathsheba, and having her loyal and mighty husband, one of David's right-hand men, assassinated, killed in battle so that he could marry her. That's adultery, that's conspiracy, and that's murder. Uh, the rape of Tamar, who was David's daughter, by her half-brother Amnon. That's incest and just altogether gross. Um, there's a subsequent murder of Amnon by his brother Absalom. Justified killing, revenge, fratricide, whatever you want to call it. And we can go on and on and on. But this, the point I want to make is the story of David winning the crown, reigning as king, his exile, and then subsequent death is as graphic a story and as compelling a story as anything television has ever put out. So with that, I want to make one more point as we move forward, as we go through this eight-week series on the life of King David. During the course of this series, we're not planning on sanitizing the Word of God, right? That is not our place. Now, our intention is not to be gratuitous, which I think, you know, the Game of Thrones series might be, but you understand that we're not going to censor God and we're not going to dress up the stories that he tells us in order to make it more pleasant or uh, culturally sensible for us. That is not our place, you understand? I don't have the right to do that. I don't have the right to take God's word, to twist it around, to make it more palatable to our modern ideas. I don't have that right, and neither do you. David's life and David's story has some really messy parts to it, and it's my responsibility as your pastor to teach it, to preach it as God speaks it, right? And apply the messy truths shared in the scripture to our very, very messy lives. So Game of Thrones, Andrew and I, so we'll do this, we'll make this as a deal. Andrew and I promise not to bring any of that HBO messiness into this series, so we're not gonna show clips and all that fun stuff, and we're not gonna expect that you understand what that is all about, so you don't have to do any research or whatever. Um, so long as you guys also, in turn, understand that that type of censorship does not apply to God's word, right? We'll do our best to be kid-friendly. Our goal is not to be gratuitous. But if you have any concerns about the content of what we might share, feel free to grab either Andrew or myself after service to share those concerns. For me, if I'm 
as a dad, as a parent, I'll share with you, week six and seven might be the ones you guys want to flag. Week six will be on the story of David and Bathsheba. Week seven will be the story of Absalom. And I'm teaching David and Bathsheba, so if there's concerns there, hit me. If uh, you're worried about Absalom, will not be shared? Hit Andrew, right? Again, our goal is not to be gratuitous in any way, but we are going to tell the story as God tells the story. And I want to give you guys a heads up, just in case there might be, for some of you got kids or whatever in here, that you're concerned that we might be sharing something. So, all right, is that good? All good with the disclaimers? All right, fantastic. Let's jump in the story of uh, David and Goliath. And it starts in 1 Samuel chapter 17. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soka and Judah and Azekah and Ephes Demim. I'm just making that up. But anyway, Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley in between them. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and a bronze coat of mail weighing 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. All right, there's a lot of fun, chunky stuff in this passage. So, If you understand, if you're picturing the battlefield in your mind, they're set on two hills with a valley in between. And so the reason why there's a bit of a standoff is that any army that wanted to charge the other army would not only have to go down their hill, but end up in a valley and then climb a hill to attack the other army. That would put them in a huge disadvantage. You understand? The non-charging army would just fire arrows and just keep picking at them until they got to the top of the hill. So you had the advantage of, of height and also being able to just attack the enemy while they're vulnerable. So neither army wanted to put themselves at that, disadvan- uh, at that disadvantage. And so the solution was actually arrived at by Goliath, the champion of the Philistines. And he came down and said, look, let's just have a one-on-one fight. I'll take on your best champion, and winner takes all. And the losing army will simply serve as slaves. And that was his challenge. It was reasonable. It kept thousands of men from potentially dying. The problem with that solution for the Israelites was Goliath, right? Goliath is, uh, is the problem. In, the, in one version, uh, it says Goliath stands six cubits tall in a span, which means Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall. That is massive. I stood next to Tony Baselli before. That's the biggest man. I mean, not just height-wise, but that guy was a beast. And we shook my hand. I felt like a kid. It just engulfed mine, right? That's the biggest man I've ever seen. And he was about six foot eight. Nine feet, nine inches. And Goliath was not just tall. He's carrying 125 pounds of armor. That's like one of my kids, right? Walking around in battle with my kids hugging me. And a uh, spear that's got a tip that's 15 pounds. That's about as heavy as my dog, right? So I've got a spear and at the end of it's my dog hanging off. That's, that's how I'm trying to picture this. So it is, uh, he is a beast of a man, incredibly strong, well-armored. He's got an armor bearer in front of him who's carrying a shield that's about the height of a man. He is massively built and trained to be one since birth. Verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across the Israelites. Why are, all, why are you all coming out to fight, he called. 
I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Fear is something everyone deals with. We all know what fear feels like. None of us are fearless. So some of us are simply better at hiding our fear than others. So we all know about fear. But how many of you are familiar with the feeling of being terrified? That's a bit further, isn't it? I don't know how many of you are familiar with that emotion. I remember the first time in my life I was ever terrified. I was six years old. I was playing in the backyard, uh, a fenced backyard with my younger brother. This was in Chicago, Illinois. And, and uh, we were just hanging out. It was a cold day, and there was some scratching at the back fence, and a dog came under. It was, it was scratching a hole underneath the fence and came into our yard. He was a big dog, a German shepherd, and he was there growling at us. And I remember being terrified. Terrified is I was so scared. I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. I couldn't mutter. I had shivers running up and down my spine as that dog was growling at me. And then he charged and he charged me and he jumped at me and I threw my arm up and he bit down on my arm over a red jacket that I was wearing. And I just started screaming. I freaked out. I was trying to shake him. And eventually the dog let go and ran off. I was terrified. Even today, when I'm walking and there's a big dog and just starts barking at me or stalking me, I get little shivers, right? It's just trauma. So um, I've also lost my kids before. And when I say I lost my kids, I don't mean I lost sight of them for 30 seconds or a minute. I mean, lost them, called security, called the police in order to find my kids. That's terrifying as well. So I know what terrifying feels like. Do you? Right? Have you ever been in a situation where you do? And I'll say this, if you have and if you do, then it's going to be a lot easier for you to relate to this story. I wasn't there on the battlefield in Israel, obviously, or I look really good for my age. But I would imagine, I do, thanks. Um, but I would imagine that most of the soldiers were scared of Goliath, but what terrified them was that Saul would come up and say, you're going to be the guy who faces him. Do you understand the difference? They saw Goliath from a distance, and they were scared of him, but they were terrified that they would have to be the one to face him. And when you're in that place, do you know what has happened here? Goliath has already won. He hasn't fought. He hasn't hit anyone. He hasn't killed anyone. He's made a threat. He, they've seen who he is, and... Goliath has already won. And it is into this setting that our hero walks into the story. David has been sent by his father to bring food to his brothers. And while he's bringing food to his brothers, he hears Goliath taunting the nation of Israel. And in verse 26, we hear David's response. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Everyone else is terrified, not David, not this kid. 
I would love to be David here, to be like David here, but the truth is that type of courage is pretty rare. Most of us are much more like Saul or Saul's soldiers. In other words, when we face Goliaths and giants in our lives, our typical response is fear or terror. I want to share something with you, saints, about fear. Fear comes from living by sight. Not just eyesight, you understand. It's the things we see, the things we perceive. And that is what happens to the Israelites here. They saw Goliath and was terrified. When you live by sight, oftentimes you'll live afraid, especially when you're confronted with something bigger than you are. And living afraid often means that like Israel, you're defeated before you ever engage in battle. When you live by sight, you also often quit by sight. The Israelites saw an undefeatable giant. We don't have nine foot, nine inch guys walking around threatening us, but we do see obstacles that we can't overcome, decisions we can't make, diseases that we can't believe will be beaten, Trials that we can't endure, sacrifices we're not willing to make, hurts that we can't get past, truths that we cannot face. That happens to us. That's what fear and giants look like in our own lives. And the reason why is because we, the, our, the, our fear comes from what we see and what we see we're comparing to ourselves. So when you compare a nine foot, nine inch giant to six foot me, sorry, Five foot 11, three quarters. But with my hair, I actually get to the six foot range, right? When we compare a nine foot nine inch giant to six foot me, that's going to be overwhelming. When we compare all the problems and trials that I just shared with you to what we think we can handle, of course we're going to be afraid because we look at ourselves and we say, I can't do that. And so, of course, we're going to feel defeated. The great preacher Haddon Robinson once shared, in any situation, what you are determines what you see, and what you see determines what you do. The soldiers of Israel looked at Goliath, and they saw a giant who was bigger than anything they could handle. And the reason why is because they were comparing Goliath to themselves, to their own size. David did not. When David got onto that battlefield, David saw an arrogant fool who dared to taunt the armies of the living God. And when David looked at Goliath, he didn't see a giant. Instead, David saw the size of Goliath relative to the size of God. And from that perspective, Goliath was not a terror at all, but he was a wingless gnat simply waiting to be pummeled. David saw what no one else on the battlefield saw, and as a result, David was the only one willing to fight. Verse 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this, Philist or this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. 
The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead and may the Lord go with you. So not only was David willing to fight Goliath, knowing that God was going to be with him, but David also chooses, interestingly, in the next few verses, to fight his own way. Saul offers him his helmet. Saul offers him his armor, and David puts them on and says, no, that doesn't fit me. David says, I'm going to fight Goliath my own way. I'm not going to take your armor. I'm not going to take your helmet. I'm not going to take your sword. That's a good lesson, and here's what I want us to catch from that. We all have different giants in our lives, things that we're afraid to confront. And when you face yours, if God's going to use you to defeat one of your Goliaths, he's going to do it using you and your gifts and your strengths, not what others think you should be. He's not going to use you to, to fight off your Goliath using someone else's gifts, someone else's talents, but yours. David needed a sling, not an armor or a sword. Verse 40, he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out towards David with a shield bearer in front of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Jehovah Saba. I want you to repeat that after me. Jehovah Saba. Right? One more time. Good. Again, Jehovah Saba. It means the Lord of hosts. Uh, it could also be interpreted as the Lord of war. In this passage, six times David uses that name. He calls God by his name, Jehovah Saba, the Lord of war. And what David is declaring is it's not going to be the armies of Israel that you have to fear. It is not the armies of Israel that you have insulted. It is the Lord God of hosts, the Lord of war that you are taunting. It is Jehovah Saba. And as a result, it is he that you are going to face. On the entire battlefield, you understand there are thousands of soldiers Thousands of other servants involved in even Israel's king, King Saul, out there on the battlefield. David is the only one on the battlefield who sees the Lord. Everyone else sees a giant and a boy. David sees what others do not. David does see a giant on the battlefield, but that giant is not Goliath. It is the Lord of hosts. And before the Lord of hosts, Goliath doesn't stand a chance. Verse 48. 
As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. David, this boy in the field against a nine-foot, nine-inch giant, heavily armed, with a spear that is a tip that weighs 15 pounds. And David runs towards the enemy, not away from him. And then when he's in range, he reaches into his pouch and fires a stone at Goliath's head. So a number of years ago, I was watching the History Channel, uh, nerd, right? So we were watching the History Channel, and there's this special on David and Goliath. And during this special, I don't even remember what the show was called. Isabel was watching it, too. And it was that show that just does science, like, is this possible? Is this real? That type of thing. And uh, it was on David and Goliath. And it was asking, was it possible for a man to be killed with a slingshot? And what they found is in the hands of a skilled slinger, you can fire a stone at up to 100 miles an hour, far more than what is necessary to kill a man, even a Goliath. I've read this story a number of different times, and I'm sure most of you in this room, if not all of you, are somewhat familiar with this story. You heard it growing up, and maybe you've even read it here in the book of 1 Samuel, and maybe even studied it. And I've actually taught on this story a time or two before. And typically how teachings go on this story of David and Goliath is that we all have Goliaths in our lives. We all have giants, problems, fears, and challenges that seems like we're never going to be able to overcome, that seem just too big for us. And I, I want to say that too. I do believe that's true. The difference is, and maybe what I want to emphasize with you all as you've listened to this story of David and Goliath, is that your Goliath, it, your Goliath might not be something that you fear. Instead, maybe it's something that you should fear, but you don't. Complacency, bitterness, insecurity, Busyness, worry, doubt. There's so many others you'd say, but here's what I'm going to give you as a tip to how you might recognize your Goliath in life, the giant in your life. The way you recognize it is you're afraid to deal with it. You don't want to deal with it. You're unwilling to confront it. The thing about giants is that giants don't make or break us. Our giants simply reveal who we are. When David killed Goliath, it wasn't then that David became a courageous hero. It was simply then that the rest of Israel recognized that that's what he already was. It was that moment that Israel recognized what God saw when David was taking care of the sheep. One final thing I want to share before we wrap up. 
Maybe some of you have a giant in your life that you don't think can be conquered. And maybe you've even been told by people around you that it's just too big, you're just going to have to live with it for the rest of your life, and that it can't be done, that you can't necessarily see total victory here. And I would just want to say to you, don't listen to them. Only the ones who have never slain a giant will tell you that it can't be done, right? Listen to those who have, because we know better. 